If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. No bias. You will respect my authority. No pulled punches. Your wife cheated on you because you lost sight of who you are as a man, as a husband. No agenda. There is no fear in this dojo. This is no hyperbole. This is the best part of the week. Here's the maestro, Mike Baum. I am the smartest man alive! (laughs) All right, here we go. Number five, insane in the tum pain. Last (laughs) Tuesday night at City Field in New York, the Mets took on the Marlins in a game that could be circled as one of the reasons why the East was lost. Trailing 6-3 and with two outs in the bottom of the eighth, Mets second baseman Jeff McNeil reached on an infield single against Marlins reliever Richard Blyer. During the next at-bat to first baseman Pete Alonzo, Blyer was called for not one, not two, but three consecutive balks by first base umpire John Tumpain, bringing McNeil around to score. Blyer became the first pitcher since Pirates Jim Gott in 1988 to be called for three balks in one inning. In 303 big league appearances before Tuesday, Blyer had never been called for a balk. After the game, Blyer said, words cannot describe what happened to that inning. I don't know. It was wild. It's the same move I've been using for 300 innings, and here we are. I watched the video, and I completely disagree. Tampain called him for not coming to a complete stop. You may remember John Tumpain, who became a full-time Major League Baseball umpire in 2016 for a fateful afternoon in Pittsburgh on June 28, 2017. That afternoon, Tumpain was out taking a stroll when he noticed a woman climbing over a railing above the Allegheny River. Tumpain rushed over and locked both of his arms around the woman's back. He told the woman he cared about her and she would be all right. The woman told Tom Payne, quote, I want to end it. I want to be in a better place. 
At times, she dangled both feet off the bridge's edge, putting her full weight on Tumpain's arms. But Tumpain prevented her from falling to the river until police and an ambulance arrived and helped lift her back over the railing. Since that day, the Pirates are 3.30 and 4.57, a 4.19 winning percentage. A better place? No. Number four, Hail Mary Challenges. As 689 Circus Survivor entries held their breath into the fourth quarter at Lambeau on Sunday, the 10-point favorite Packers were tied at 24 with the New England Patriots. Green Bay faced third and eight from the Patriots' 40 with just over two minutes remaining. Aaron Rodgers connected with Romeo Dubs in the end zone, but Dubs failed to maintain possession of the ball as he hit the ground and the ball touched the ground. The officials correctly ruled the pass incomplete. On the Packers' sideline, head coach Matt LaFleur was ruminating over challenging the call. Assistant quarterback coach Connor Lewis had seen the replay and was in LaFleur's headset telling him not to challenge. The situation was obvious. The Packers had to punt to the Patriots having two timeouts. If they force a three and out, the worst case scenario is they get the ball near midfield with a minute to go. An unsuccessful challenge would mean the Patriots could essentially run out the clock before overtime. And yet LaFleur challenged. The Packers pinned the Patriots at their own two. The Patriots ran the ball three times and punted back to the Packers with less than 10 seconds remaining. The game headed to overtime where New England took over at midfield after a Packers punt but stalled and punted on fourth and five from the Packers 46. 12 plays later, Mason Crosby kicked a 31-yard field goal as overtime expired to give the Packers a 27-24 victory. Why did LaFleur challenge? After the game, he said, I'm not too proud of that moment. It was an emotional decision, but a great learning lesson. You can never make the emotional decisions in the heat of battle. You know better. You have to survive the Brown. Connor Lewis, he's up in the box. He's in my ear telling me I don't think so. He said we shouldn't challenge. I just made an emotional decision. It was almost like throwing a Hail Mary. That could have came back to bite us in the butt. I'd rather learn from that being on this side. Thank God our guys bailed me out. Definitely my worst decision of the day. Maybe Matt LaFleur should worry more about trusting his coaches and making rational decisions than firing up the Packer fans and being their head cheerleader. His offense looked lost for most of the day against the Patriots defense that gave up 37 to the Ravens. Number three, P.J. rowed the boat aground. I've given Minnesota's P.J. Fleck credit for being the best game manager in football, not just in college football, but the NFL as well. The game in Minneapolis on Saturday against Purdue has me questioning my assertion. Let's start out with the very first thing about that game that troubled me, a game that I cashed an under, two, an under 52 ticket on. Mm -hmm. 21st ranked Minnesota was a 12-point favorite throughout the week. When it was announced on Friday that Boilers quarterback Aiden O'Connell would return to the lineup after a one-game absence, the line dropped to nine and a half. At no point during the week did anyone out of the Minnesota camp or anyone else for that matter, suggest that Gophers tailback Mohamed Ibrahim would not be available to play in the game after suffering a very minor ankle injury the week before. He was listed on no injury reports. Flex said after the game, Mo was close to going. I thought he might go, but we're always going to be on the safe side with our players. Now on to the game. Trailing 7-0 with 345 remaining in the first quarter, Minnesota faced fourth and one from their own 29-yard line. Fleck decided to go for it and bought in backup quarterback Cole Kramer to try to make the line to gain. It didn't happen as Kramer was pushed back and the Gophers took over in field goal range. They tacked on three more points to take a 10-0 lead and would win the game 20-10. Fleck said after the game, quote, I felt like we needed to do something. It only cost us three points. 
but it was worth it. I would do it again. We have to be able to get fourth and one. We have to get something moving. What? So what if you make it? You have first down and 10 on your own 30. How is that momentum? The reward to risk profile just isn't there. I need to revise my previous statement. Fleck may be the best game manager with a lead. He is brilliant at taking the clock down to nothing in the fourth quarter by calling a disciplined game and using every second of the play clock. But when he isn't on the choo-choo, it's a whole different ball game. That is the reason why he's 2-19 when his teams trail at halftime. Oh. Number two, Houston, we have a problem. Friday night, the Tulane Green Wave took on the University of Houston Cougars in Texas. Even though Tulane was on its third-string quarterback, the game went to overtime tied at 21. Houston won the toss and elected to go on offense. The Cougars gained seven yards on three plays and facing fourth and three from the from the 18, kicked a 36-yard field goal. Tulane took three plays to get into the end zone and won the game 27-24. Why would Houston coach Dana Holgerson elect to go on offense first in overtime? Well, let's listen to him explain. We went back over the last six years, uh, and uh, over the last six years, 54% of the teams that had the ball first won. Okay, over the last three years, 56% of the teams uh, that had the ball first won. I think that's enough to move the needle. You know, so everybody's like, well, you can't do that. Well, what do you mean you can't do that? They give us an option to be able to do it. So the analytics say do it. Um, I'm, I'm uh, <clears throat> not worried about the perception of not doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, you know, uh, unconventional ways of doing things give you better odds of being able to be successful. I'm going to do it. And if there's criticism involved in it, then I don't care. To refute Holgerson's logic, I'd like to call on Baltimore Ravens head coach John Harbaugh, explaining why he didn't elect to kick a field goal on fourth and goal from the two, tied with Buffalo 2020, with just over four minutes remaining on Sunday. Well, I, I felt like it gave us the best chance to win the game because seven, the worst that happens is if they go down the field and score, and I think we'll get them stopped, but if they go down the field and score a touchdown, the worst thing that can happen is that you're in overtime. But you kick a field goal there, now it's not a three-down game anymore. It's a four-down game. You're, you're putting them out there. You're putting your defense at a disadvantage because they've got four downs to convert all the way down the field and a chance to, again, score seven, and then you, you lose the game on a touchdown. So and then the worst thing, the other thing, you think you're going to get the ball at the two-yard line. So I'm very confident in our defense. Defense's ability to stop them down there with the ball in the two-yard line. So we got them backed up. If we don't get it, didn't turn out that way, unfortunately, and we lost the game. So hindsight, you could take the points. but. If you look at it analytically, I understand why we did it. Well said, Coach Harbaugh. Could you give Coach Holgerson a call? And number one, for the love of Christ, on Sunday night, the <laughs> University of Wisconsin announced it had fired head coach Paul Christ during his eighth season on the job. Defensive coordinator Jim Leonard was named interim coach. Wisconsin was off to a 2-3 and three start to the campaign, including upset home losses to Washington State and Illinois. But did Wisconsin make the right decision in firing Christ? He was 67-26 and 26 at Wisconsin, 43-18 and 18 in Big Ten play. Bo Pelini was 67-27 and 27 at Nebraska, 39-17 and 17 in conference. Jim Harbaugh, who started at Michigan the same year Chris did at Wisconsin in 2015, 66-24, 44-17 in the Big Ten. And since 2015 at Iowa, Kirk Ferentz, 66-27 and 43-20 and 20 in Big Ten play. How about bowl records? Pelini and Ferentz 3-3, three three, Harbaugh 1-5. 
Crist was 6-1 in bowls, his only loss to the Justin Herbert-led Oregon Ducks in the Rose Bowl, in a game marred by an offensive pass interference against Wisconsin on a game-winning drive, a possible game-rimming drive. Chris' record compares favorably to all three, but let's throw out the Harbaugh comparison. Chris didn't make a playoff and doesn't have the NFL pedigree. Let's also draw a line through Polina. Nebraska's football expectations certainly exceed Wisconsin's.